This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Usim, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome, everybody. This, of course, is Leadership in Action, Sirius XM's business radio powered by our school, the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Mike Yuseem. I'm with the Center for Leadership and Change and the McNulty Leadership Program here at the school. I am flying solo this evening as my two friends and colleagues, Ann Greenhall and Jeff Klein, have the night off. So welcome to the program. Uh, a preview in just a few minutes, first hour here, we're going to be talking with Bill Yo a third-generation owner of Day and Zimmerman. It's a billion-dollar company headquartered not far from where we sit just now here in, this, <clears throat> in West Philadelphia. It goes back to his grandfather and Bill's father, and uh, Bill has written, indeed, a book. I've got a copy right in front of me here. It's called Our Way, The Life Story of Spike Yo. That's, the, um, I guess, the nickname of his father, Spike. We're going to begin on that book, but since... Bill now is responsible for a very large company, <clears throat> some 45,000 employees. We're going to talk a, a good bit about what it means to lead. And equally, stay tuned, we'll probably take on the issue of intergenerational transmission of that uh, ownership and the leadership of that firm. So in just a second, we're going to be uh, drawing Bill directly into the conversation here. But just to anticipate the second hour, our guest will be Mark Nevins co-author of a new book, listen carefully, called What Happens Now, So Far So Good, Reinvent Yourself as a Leader Before Your Business Outruns You. Something in that about renewal, what got you here won't get you there. <clears throat> we may even ask uh, uh, Bill Yo here in the studio a little bit about that as well, but we're going to have the co-author of that book with us in the second hour. So stick around. Um, uh, this is going to be a dialogue. A call in if you'd like to join the conversation. We always invite people just to add their questions and thoughts to our dialogue. We're at 844-942-7866. Bill, welcome to the studio. I introduced you a couple seconds ago. But anyway, welcome. Good to have you here in the studio. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here tonight. Bill, I think what we're going to do is uh, really pick up on the fact that you have written a book about really your family focused on your father, Spike. And my guess is a certain fraction, maybe not small, of those listening to the program <clears throat> have thought about writing a biography of a family member or maybe even a history of the family tree. So many people these days certainly have looked at their ancestry going back several generations, a topic of great uh, international interests, websites help on that. The task, though, of taking on a an account of your family uh, is uh, it is daunting. It's a it's a it's a complex story, a long story here. So before people jump into it, uh, <laughs> by way of example here, Bill's got uh, has done this. Uh, help us understand, Bill, why you decided to write the book, and then obvious follow-on question: What did it take? to allow you to, indeed, you've got a day job. This is on weekends and evenings that allowed you to do it the way you did it. So sure. there it is. No, uh, thanks, Mike. And again, <laughs> it's great to be here. And, uh, you know, it, the the genesis of the book actually was not the best of circumstances. It was back in 2015 when uh, my mom fell ill and then ultimately passed away. And during trips back and forth to the hospital with my father, I would ask him, you know, questions about his past or different things, which he had not really talked a lot about. And... For the first time, I was surprised he actually talked about his past. And, and what really interested me is certain aspects of his past. He had real detail and specificity and great recall. And other aspects was, was some real fog. And um, But they both really interested me. And I remember thinking and talking with my brothers that, you know, we should really get somebody to capture his story. Uh, later in the year when my mom did pass away, it was one of those times where, you know, I kind of looked in the mirror and really reflected on where I was in my life and my career and and realized, you know, maybe I could make a difference by writing this book. And um, so I, you know, talked with my wife. I talked with my brothers with whom I own the business, talked with my father. Um, you know, everyone, I don't know if they saw the look in my eye or, or it resonated with them, but uh, everyone was on board. So we spent the balance of the year preparing for me to transition many of my work responsibilities to, to give me the time to do this right. And 
the the project itself was pretty comprehensive. I did uh, 20 different recorded interviews with my father uh, covering his entire life. I interviewed 75 other people from every chapter and facet and phase of his life. And, you know, for, you know, the for my, you know, in, in addition to that, contribute a lot of third party research and report cards all the way back to grade school. Uh, and then obviously my own observations throughout it all. So really um, what it became for our family uh, was, you know, an opportunity to really reflect in terms of how to look forward. So, you know, the dedication is dedicated to future generations of the Yo family. I mentioned the, in the introduction that hopefully members of our family, future members of our family and other families can learn from the past, you know, to live more meaningful lives moving forward. And, and it was a real chance to, you know, allow our family to try and be inclusive and transparent in our communities with our employees, with our customers and anybody else who may read it. Well, I'm going to personalize a little bit here. Uh, my father, who passed away some time ago, had served in the U.S. Navy during World War II. He served in the Pacific. And we often talked about that uh, over the many years uh, that I shared our lifetimes uh, with him. Uh, but it occurred to me near the end of his life that there is a a memory, a digital memory in a sense, in the back of his head of these uh, absolutely indelible and just compelling events of service in the Pacific, uh, close to uh, some combat. And near the end of his life, I often would sit down with a tape recorder and say, just let's just talk about it. Uh, I've got many regrets ab about um, what I now should have done earlier on, including the fact that uh, probably 15 years earlier, I should have got us going on some of those dialogues, and I should have said, Dad, let's pick up, let's go to the South Pacific where you did serve. And by the time that it finally occurred to me, that would be a, just a wonderful way to let him re-experience and me experience what he went through. It was too late to make the trip. That's a long-winded way, mm -hmm. Bill, of saying, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, would you, for example, wish you got going on this earlier, or you interviewed still other people, or you look through, uh, what do you wish you had done on, on top of what you, know, you would do? It's, it's a great question, and and really, I, I I don't know that I do. And, and you know, at the time, I guess I wasn't totally aware of why I wanted to write the book, other than it just it felt like the right thing to do. But, you know, now that it, it's it's been, you know, a little while since I finished the book, and uh, looking back on it, I think in some ways I was called to write the book. And in terms of how... You know, I've heard from enough people that, um, you know, that they enjoyed my writing, that Spike, you know, really has an incredible story. When, when he and I get to talk about the book together, it, it's a really rich discussion. But more what it's become now is how is having read the book moving the needle for other people? And, and how is it either personally or professionally or philanthropically, which are really the three main cords of the book, putting, oh. putting people in action and, and being more invested in their relationships? Let's talk about that. So as you've picked up feedback from some of your your friends, family members, employees, and beyond. What are you hearing? Um, you know, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, the, the feedback really goes across the board. The first thing that had me realize this is I got an email shortly after the book was published that a former colleague of mine had read it and uh, said that, uh, and again, I you know, as I've already talked about today, I talked right in the beginning about my mom's passing. And this former colleague said that uh, when he read the book, he didn't realize that he was still not at peace with his own mother's passing about 10 years earlier. And how I talked about my mom's passing helped him become at peace with that. So that's obviously on a very personal side. On a professional side, uh, I was at an industry conference recently, and, and uh, a man who was in his 60s has run a very successful business had said to me he's been wondering for years when he should think about handing mm -hmm. over the reins to the next generation to his sons. And having read the book, told him now's the time, and he announced the week after he finished the book that he was going to be doing that. So, hmm. and there's there's examples within our family of people who understand our family more. Um, you know, we talk a lot about the family that we grew up in was so informed by how my parents grew up, and I think one of the biggest themes of the book is how much childhood informs adulthood, and really kind of peeling that in all the ways that we can about how. The, the man and the adult and the father and the husband and the leader Spike became in many ways grew out of the, the childhood experiences he mm -hmm. had. Uh, Bill, in just a minute, let's talk about uh, Spike, you your father. But before we do that and the life he led, obviously, got another question coming from a different uh, direction here. A member of my wife's family wrote a autobiography of his own life, but it, it references extensively his relationship with his father. Uh, it's called Fortunate Son. It's right there in the title. 
And in that particular focus, uh, we learn uh, so much about his father and his father's influence on the son. We learn less about the mother's influence and other relatives for that matter. So in choosing to focus on your father, not your mother, not your grandfather, why, why your father? Sure. Um, you know, he, you know, my father, I'm, I'm the youngest of five. Uh, you know, I spent my last five years growing up as the only one at home because my siblings were all off at school and working by then. He and I developed a really special relationship, still have one to this day. I kind of joke with people that I can go weeks without talking for him, and if I can call him in the middle of some major sporting event, and I know he can say, can you believe mm-hmm. that guy missed that putt or missed that shot kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, But it's interesting you talk about the grandfather and, and the mother. So you know, Spike's wife and his father really are probably the are, – are certainly the two most important characters besides him in the book. And um, when my editor had gone through the book initially – my wife's uh, my my his wife my mom's name was Mary. She said, "You know, I, I'm not getting enough Mary. Mary is not well enough developed for me." And so I really took mm-hmm. it as a personal mission to make sure that my mom was ably represented in this book. And and uh, you know th- their relationship. They were married for 56 years up until when she passed. Um, you know, really was in many ways. You know, the wind beneath his wings was incredibly supportive of him. Uh, also, you know, knew where the guardrails were and would mm-hmm. kind of keep him in check, really helped him understand work-life balance issues uh, and and really was the, the matriarch as much as he was the patriarch of things. Now, on, on his father, on Spike's father, Harold, you know, certainly the most, I think, compelling dynamic in the whole book is the relationship between the two of them. And uh, and from Spike's perspective, it was not a very amicable relationship. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he uses a lot of strong words like bully and other things in there. Um, and I think maybe the greatest gift that Spike got out of this book was by looking at the relationship with his father from all these different angles with all these different interviews and everything. I don't think it it, it changed overall Spike's perception of his father, but it certainly, I think, softened it. And, and what I've really concluded is that it's not that his father didn't uh, express love and support for him. It's that the ways in which his father expressed love and support mm-hmm. were not necessarily ways that he was able of getting. But he also formed a lot of his uh, business ethos and priorities, you know, based on what his father had done as well. So, Bill, picking up on that exactly, I just came well, about an hour ago from a program that we offer here at the school for mid-career managers for a, a big non-U.S. company. And I often, as I did today, ask individuals in the room who are here to think about management or leadership, whatever the topic may be, to reflect on an individual whose leadership they totally admire. And I have found in recent years in doing that that I have to ask them, don't make it your father or don't make it your mother because that's not going to work for where we're going with, with questions that do follow. And people often pick out maybe a boss or they'll pick out Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa. Uh, but that's, a, I guess, an indirect way of saying we learn in who we are, uh, certainly what, what our values are, what, are, what our personal style is. Much of that comes from childhood. But there is an argument. A lot of who we are in terms of our ability to manage, to make a difference, to lead other people – comes directly from our father and probably our mother. So referencing that, let's start with you vis-a-vis your father and your mother, and then we'll talk about your father's relationship with his father and his mother. Bill, but back to you. What, what, have, what, have, what did you, looking back on your own life, find most significant in what your both parents passed on to you? Sure. I mean, I, you know, the first thing that comes to mind for sure is the the idea about being values driven in how you approach the workplace. And and certainly for my parents and, and Spike in particular, at the top of that list would be the value of integrity and and how important it is to be honest and, and forthright and taking the high road and any opportunities you can. Mm-hmm. Most of the business we're in is service business. It's people business. So we are only as good as our word. Um, and, and it's something that really... <laughs> Uh, was incredibly near and dear to Spike's heart, something he passed on to us. And, and interestingly, it wasn't for him just that uh, being honest and truthful all the time was the right thing to do. He was also very much an engineer and had a pragmatic approach. He said, you know, if you always tell the truth, you never have to worry about what you said to whom and when. Hmm. That, you know, you could always be very consistent. People would always know where you stood. They would get to the point where people know how you were going to react on a certain issue. And 
And I found that the high road's not always the easy road, but we talk about this in our business and our culture a lot. We have a, a uh, our corporate motto is we do what we say. And it really is driven by uh, the integrity that, that, you know, a lot of our founding fathers in the business, but particularly Spike, really put for, for, first and foremost. Um, I think another value I certainly developed from them that applies both personally and professionally is the value of family. And, and family in a, you know, a literal and traditional sense, the importance of family, but also the importance of, you know, creating those aspects of a family culture within a business. And, and today, you know, we probably don't use the word family as much as we use words like, you know, inclusion and, and diversity mm-hmm. and transparency. But, but how do you run a business and, and build a culture where you allow people to bring their whole selves to work, just as you'd allow a sibling or a, a relative to bring their whole selves to family? And really to, you know, what are the things that can enable people to be their, their best versions of themselves? And whether that's a sibling that you're supporting or a coworker that you're trying to help develop or be successful, you know, I think that whole idea of family, which today maybe we look at more as inclusion, is another big aspect from my parents. Terrific. Then let me just take a minute to remind listeners that this is Leadership in Action, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I am your host, Mike Yusim, and I'm in dialogue with Bill Yo who, along with his brothers, is a third generation of owner of Day & Zimmerman, a global staffing company located not too far from where we sit. And we've been talking about a biography that he has recently written about his father called Our Way, The Life Story of Spike Yo. Bill, to turn it upside down for a minute, we learn enormously from our childhood, from high school teachers, maybe elementary school teachers, coaches. Uh, but we don't learn everything. So thinking about your later years, what did you not learn from your father and your mother that when you go to work at Day and Zimmerman, uh, top executive there, that informs how you lead, how you actively make life at Day and Zimmerman come come to mm-hmm. life? No, it's a, it's a great question. <laughs> you know, a, a couple things come to mind. I mean, one of them that, uh, you know, I – I knew certainly, but it, you you can't learn it to experience is the the whole concept of time management and how do you prioritize your time? How do you mm-hmm. leverage those around you so that you're spending your time on the things that are of the most value? And uh, it's certainly a lesson that that Spike learned that I talk about in the book. But that's one of those things I think I just had to go through, you know, on my own with it. Um, you know, I think another uh, aspect that probably I didn't learn from them but learned the hard way was the importance of having a diverse team. Um, you know, I had a, an, a you know, one, one stage of my career where, you know, I did not achieve the kind of success that the business, you know, could have required at the time. And, and you know, the you know, if I look back on one of the failures of that, it was because I surrounded myself with a lot of people that thought like me, acted mm. like me, had very similar interests, and we didn't we weren't able to take advantage of the richness and diversity of what a, a well-managed, diverse team could have brought. Huh. Uh, Bill, it's often said that leadership begins at home, or begins maybe even genetically, certainly begins at home, and it's lifelong. So uh, you referenced a couple of things that you uh, learned later on. Uh, let's think now about the last four or five years. Now, turning to your role as a leader of the business, what have you learned in recent years that you had not appreciated from your family or in your early years of managing and leading? Sure. Um, well, first of all, let me just interject that that uh, Mike, you seem asking Bill, you a question about leadership feels a little weird okay. since I was a, cust- a, a student in your class almost two decades ago. But with that, huh. with that uh, said, you know, I think one of the things today that um, we we see at, at Day and Zimmerman and the Yo Company is, you know, the idea that you do have, you know, a, a full four generations in the workforce and really trying to understand uh, the different motivations, the different interests, the different ways of engaging employees, um, you know, based initially on sort of generationally where they fall. And, you know, I, I do believe there are certain things that transcend generations in terms of appealing to people's passions and standing for things and people wanting to be part of things that are bigger than themselves. Um, integrity, you know, there's a number of things like that, um, you know, successful work, working together and things, but really understanding, you know, the greatest generation, the boomers, my generation, generation X and the millennials, uh, you know, and even mm-hmm. people, you know, I have, I have children myself, even younger than that, how technology is impacting things, how, um, you know, uh, people's interests in, uh, social causes in the environment and different kind of things and how all that weighs against sort of the traditional business pursuit of the almighty dollar. And, 
you know, that's something that I think continues to be a real learning experience. Um, you know, how do you at a at a maybe a traditional hierarchical organization, you know, leverage the the information, the knowledge of those early career workers who really have a different perspective on things, but in a lot of ways they're gonna be the the fuel that's gonna drive your business in the future. Yeah, terrific. So uh, Bill, why don't we in fact dig uh, a little bit deeper into the organization and your and your life therein, and again, kind of out of curiosity on my part, but I probably speak for many of our listeners. As you entered into the top position there to run the enterprise, as I said at the outset, forty five thousand employees. What did you learn when you became chief executive that you had not anticipated, even after with many conversations with your father? You simply had not seen it until you were doing it. Right. Well, one thing I, I do want to clarify that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm chairman of the Yo Company, which is one of our businesses. Yeah. But, but but my brother Hal is, in fact, the chief executive of the whole the whole business. Um, and but we have, as a generation, owned the business since the late '90s. Um, and so I can speak at it from that perspective. Um, you know, certainly, I think a really important. <laughs> Uh, issue that we have tried to embody and live by, which is a dynamic that did not exist previously with with Spike, was the whole importance of uh, our our employees and particularly our management and senior management team understanding how incredibly critical and mandatory and necessary they were to the continued success of the business. Um, when we uh, took over control of the business, it was about a, a billion dollar company with sixteen thousand employees. We had an average age of thirty three. And we knew there was, you know, no way in heck that, you know, that the top five positions in the organization were going to be, you know, filled by our, our family. And so we went through a lot of things from a governance perspective, from an infrastructure perspective, from a, a hiring dynamic perspective to ensure that our company broadly and our and our senior management team specifically knew how important they were. And, and those were dynamics, you know, because my father didn't have any siblings that he worked with. He did work for his father for a while, but in the 22 years – between when he bought his father out and sold to us, he was he was the man. Mm. And so uh, we had a very different dynamic than that. Uh, my oldest brother, Hal, who continues to be our chairman CEO today, is is, you know, in the, in probably the toughest position because he's one of the owners. But he's also the, the, the chief executive responsible for executing on the, the mission and the objectives that the owners put forward. So that that dynamic is something mm. that, um, you know, we were. Uh, we, we leveraged a lot of people. We leveraged resources at places like Wharton and, and, and other experts and other families who have walked a mile in those shoes to figure out what works and doesn't work. And and like anything with family business succession, every situation is unique. And I think we came up with some some ideas that you know twenty years later seem to have uh, you know survived the light of day. It's great. A couple of years ago, I went to an evening seminar focused around multiple generation family controlled companies. And the topic with a number of people in the room like yourself who were second, third, fourth, in one case, seventh generation, the topic for the evening dialogue was the devices, if you will, that help you as one generation anticipate, prepare, socialize the next generation to one day uh, coming into their own in the company uh, there were many answers offered in the room. I was actually impressed with the diversity of devices that companies have used. In your own case, just talk through, if you wouldn't mind, for a few minutes, how the new generation or your generation looking now backwards or the next generation looking forwards, uh, members of your family are helped along in their own development so they one day can be in senior management of the company. Sure. No, no, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, you know, family businesses in general, you know, uh, comprise more than 50% of the GDP in the country, yet less than half of them, you know, transition successfully to the generation and far, far fewer to a third and fourth generation. So the, you know, we're, we're, we're not very good at succession as an industry. If you look at family businesses as an industry, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of the things that we have done for my generation that worked, and I'll kind of talk about my generation and then you know, which is the third generation or G3 as we call it uh, versus G4, you know, our, our children. Um, <clears throat> for for G3, you know, a lot of it was that we were exposed to the business. Uh, you know, all of us in various stages through high school and college worked at the business during summers. Um, you know, my, my parents really integrated the family with the business a lot together. So we were involved in many of the trips and events and, and, uh, you know, holiday gatherings. And 
So we were kind of around it all the time. Um, yet, you know, many of us were also encouraged to go work elsewhere. So, a, you know, a, a real best practice that, that we, many of us followed and that now that we require for future uh, family members, generations is, you, you know, you, if you want to work at the business full time, you need a college degree and you have to go work mm. somewhere else for two years in a related field. Um, related field is sort of an intentionally vague term, but we want it to be something that in some way will will carry you on to to having value there. So uh, I worked in the management consulting industry for a few years after college. And in fact, when I was uh, later on a, a student here in the executive program at, at Wharton, I wrote a paper that I titled Bill So-and-so versus So-and-so Yo. And what I did is I compared my experience working at another firm where I was Bill So-and-so, that tall kid from Philadelphia, versus, you know, at Day and Zimmerman where, you know, oh, so-and-so yo, you know, the youngest one who just joined us. And, and you know, there were, you know, very different sort of experiences to both. So uh, working at the business through school in some of those early career things, you know, we talk with people about, you know, you have a great opportunity to have a real impact. And in fact, the thing that you know, really cemented it for me was shortly after we had uh, bought the business from our father that I realized that, you know, we have thousands of employees and I'm in this position to have this really disproportionate impact mm-hmm. on their lives. And that was very motivating. And that, you know, here tw- two decades later still is. Um, on the other hand, you know, real responsibilities come along with that, you know, that people are likely to notice when your car gets in the parking lot a little more or, you know, the kind of things you're doing in your career and where you are. And that's something, you know, that we talk a lot with, uh, you know, our, our next generation. Um, you know, some of the next generation is in the business. Some are off doing other things. Uh, some are still school-aged. And, you know, the important thing for us is that, you know, each of them pursues what they're passionate about, that, uh, you know, that they're engaged in what they are in their lives, that they're upstanding people, that they're supportive, that they're professional. Um, and if those things happen to cross with uh, employment or management or executive opportunities within the business, that's great. If they don't, um, you know, we would still uh, we still want to develop that next generation as, as stewards and owners mm-hmm. of the business. And, and that's, you know, another thing that will be different if we look forward versus now is, is you know, from Harold to Spike to now my brother Hal and, and our family, we've always been owner operators. Mm-hmm. And the, the likely or, or the in all likelihood in the future, you know, we will probably you know, end up having a non-family CEO and maybe several non-family CEOs. And so the real, uh, you know, influence and direct control of the family at that point would probably switch more to a board level than a management level. And so, you know, that's another difference that we would see with succession. And when it comes to succession between generations, as I said, you know, our, our family business world is not very good at it. You know, one of the things that when I talk about it, I like to say is that, you know, when two generations work together – you know, the sort of, in our case, the third generation and, and, and the fourth generation, there are an infinite number of ways that the fourth generation could choose to govern the business. Of that infinite number of ways, the only one we know that wouldn't work would be the way that, that the third generation would come with mm. come up with on their own without the fourth generation's input. So. Bill, hold that thought, and we're going to uh, pursue that further. But I'm also going to ask you several questions now about your own leadership style, the tougher decisions you've made. So hang in there with us, everybody. Stay on the dial. Uh, After the break, we're going to continue our discussion with Bill Yeo here. I'm Mike Yuseem, and you're listening to Leadership in Action right here on the Business Radio from the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. Welcome back. Leadership in Action, Sirius XM's business radio powered by the Wharton School. That is us. I'm your host, Mike Yuseem. And we are in the studio with the guest that we've been talking with for the last half an hour, Bill Yo. He is a third-generation owner of Day & Zimmerman, a global staffing company based just outside of Philadelphia here. And he chairs its multinational recruiting business called simply Yo, Y-O-H. Uh, he's written a biography of his father. We talked about that quite a bit in the first half an hour. And, Bill, I'm going to get us now right back into an issue we were dealing with just before the break, and that is the intergenerational preparation and then transmission of uh, senior leadership roles, whether in Yo or, or Day and Zimmerman. 
in this seminar I referenced briefly where there were a whole bunch of people like yourself who were third, fourth, in one case, seventh generation. Their company went back to, I think it was 1789. Uh, a lot of, call them devices, were, were suggested for ensuring that the next generation is ready to take ultimately uh, um, the long path to the top of, of a family-owned company, including sending people off for a couple of years. They kind of come back as the prodigal son uh, and gradually move up. And you referenced that in your own case. In one instance, seventh generation – sorry, fourth generation in this particular case, there are four brothers. They run different parts of a business that's all combined ultimately in terms of the ownership and I think it was every second Monday of the month, they would sit down, no agenda, at lunch and make certain that they were brothers. So uh, my guess is you might have a couple more family th- – similar family things like that as you've helped keep your family together. You've got brothers in the business and then also the intergenerational thing. So just talk about that if you would. Sure. Yeah. No, and it's uh, – you know, all those things, I was smiling as you were talking that because it really, it was almost as if we were, you know, a party or a, a, a member of that, that session you were at. We, we talk a lot about hats and, you know, what hats are we wearing? And, um, you know, we all wear different hats, my brothers and, and I. Um, we have the hats of brothers. We have the hats of shareholders. We have the hats of managers. We have the hats of employees. Um, in some cases, we work for each other. Um, so we really try and be very conscious of which which hats are we wearing at which time and trying to have the the forethought and the discipline to to understand the differences with those and and that you know certain hat to hat relationships can be healthy while others may need a little more nurturing and those sorts of things so you know one of the things that we do is uh, every other month uh, for a full day we we meet off site with a, an executive coach and we we've always worked with executive coaches and um most of the meeting talks about, you know, shareholder issues. So things about the business, the strategy, certain investments, uh, risk, insurance, whatever, those kind of things. But uh, one of the things we always do, at the, well, the first thing we do at the beginning of the meeting, reflective of our values, we always start our meetings with a safety topic and a diversity topic. These are two of our core values at Day and Zimmerman, and we want to make sure that we as shareholders are modeling that. But one of the things we talk about early on is, is we talk about uh, working together and hotspots. And that's a chance in every single uh, meeting that we have to talk about where are there opportunities where we as, as you know, siblings, brothers, and shareholders are working together, what's working, not working. And then we have this, this idea of hotspots, which we stole from some other family that had done it. And um, it's a chance to see if there's things going on with any of those hats, meaning any of those relationships between or among us, that might be getting in the way of us doing our, our fiduciary role as shareholders. Let's make sure we get those things addressed right at the outset. And uh, you know, most meetings, nothing comes up, but uh, it's always there on the agenda in case something does come up. And, uh, you know, now 20 years in, we've, we've you know, proven never – we've always been able to get past anything that might be there. And, and really, we have to understand when we meet as shareholders, we're, we are equal. But when we're in the company setting, we run the business like a business. Hmm. And so how is the chairman and CEO – uh, we have to be totally supportive of, of Hal's agenda, of his strategies, of what he's doing. Um, you know, I think the feedback from our, our management team and our company is that they see that. They see that that alignment and that uh, that culture of, you know, people being on the same yep. page, rowing in the same direction. Where, where businesses get themselves into trouble is where you don't have that and particularly where some of that disagreement becomes more public. And, Bill, same question about the next generation. You referenced briefly the importance within your family of uh, young people going off for a couple of years to a related uh, enterprise and coming back in. Another company I'm well familiar with, uh, publicly traded but privately controlled, has long followed the policy of, of exactly that, that the son or daughter that may be the next generation top executive will go off related business sometimes for more than a couple of years. When they come back, though, they're on a uh, kind of an accelerated what in some companies would, would would be considered a high potential career in which you're more rapidly than many people rotated through a bunch of different functions, a di- bunch of different parts of the business. After all, if one day not too far off you're going to be responsible for the whole thing, you better have been in many of the parts of that big thing. Something like that in your own case? Sure. Yeah. Uh, a couple thoughts on that. You know, one is it's very interesting how people talk about that time outside of the business. And as I said, you know, we, we've chosen two years. Uh, some people may choose three. Uh, there are some companies who have people, you know, five, 10, 15 years out, those kind of things. And we, uh, 
we've kind of stayed away from that because, well, for two reasons. Number one, you know, if you're 10 to 15 years into a career somewhere, you, you may be pretty locked and loaded mm-hmm. and doing well, and that transition mm-hmm. may not be as easy. Secondly, we put ourselves in that employer's position, and we think that that employer has now invested a lot of time in, in this in this employee, in this uh, maybe manager, executive, whatever it is, and and we don't know that we want to do that. But But more to your point about the rotations and the positions. So there's really, you know, two things on that. We we do we, we try to be very intentional about the career pathing of, of family members. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we want them to meet with success, but we also want them to be in, in places and at levels that they are uh, that they're comfortable, that their passions get to come out, that they get to build on prior roles that they've had. Uh, we found sometimes where we weren't as intentional about that, that, you know, it's the whole thing about does somebody have 10 years of experience or one year of experience 10 times. So to really trying to think through, you know, some of those issues. Um, and I think in our situation, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're preparing those people to one day be in the corner office, you know, re- recognizing that, you know, five to 10 to 20 years from now, you may be talking about a, a five to $10 billion company. You know, there aren't a whole lot of people who can run a five to $10 billion company and the odds of them necessarily coming from this one family, you know, that the, the numbers kind of the, the likelihood does go down. So we really try and focus on we want uh, family members who choose to work at the business to be in roles that they're engaged in, that they're being successful at, that people are seeing them have success and not, you know, sacrificing that for the sake of, you know, trying to, you know, push people beyond where they should be or, or stretch them farther than where they're comfortable. And again, it's looking at that idea of management and employment as separate from ownership. Mm-hmm. Bill, let's take this in a little bit of a different direction. In working with non-family members, that's it's an issue. It's a separate challenge. And just to maybe put the affirmative spin on it and then turn it back to you, in bringing people in, especially at a senior level who are not family, but ultimately are working for the family, uh, in my own limited observations, companies spend a lot of time looking very carefully, especially for a very senior appointment of a non-family member. My guess is you've done that. You've been through that. Uh, talk about that. Sure. Yeah, no, and that is, uh, as I said mm. a little while ago, as important as anything that, that we believe in is that our our managers, our non-family managers and executives have to know and have to experience that they really are incredibly valued, that they really do make mm-hmm. a difference, um, that we simply cannot survive without them. And we've been very blessed to have a lot of longevity and uh, with, with our executives and when we bring in new people, the success rates that we've had. But we really do try and be very clear about what the value proposition, what the employee proposition is of somebody coming in here. So, uh, you know, there's there's not going to be an IPO. There's not the likelihood of a, of a huge windfall if the stock market takes off in terms of where your stock options would be. Um, we do pride ourselves, though, on paying to market. Um, both from a salary and a compensation incentive perspective. We do have a, a phantom stock program in place for senior mm-hmm. executives. So uh, from that perspective, we understand that we have to be at parity with where the competition would be. But more what we find when we go out to bring, as you said, sort of these you know more senior executives, you know middle, later career into the company, is uh, we want them to understand what the culture is. So you know we have a we we do have a work hard, play hard culture. Um, you know, I don't think we have a culture that expects you know seven, twelve-hour days a week out of our people. Um, we have a we don't we have a culture that doesn't expect sort of cutthroat by department or by individual. We really focus on collaboration and people working together, um, and and we do have a culture that says we really value our relationships. We can take a long-term view towards our clients. Uh, from a from a diversity perspective, we have employee engagement groups, and we want to find out from different groups of people that have shared affinities, mm-hmm. shared interests, shared characteristics. What does it make people like them want to come to Day and Zimmerman and stay at Day and Zimmerman, and and really try and listen very loudly on that? And um, you know, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's not a good fit, or uh, very occasionally we may lose an executive who has a chance to go maybe participate in an IPO somewhere else, and. And set their family up for for life, so to speak. Um, but those occasions, uh, we're proud to say, are are, are fairly rare because mm-hmm. people understand when they come in what the culture is, what the employee value proposition is, and how it plays out. Bill, just a quick question to go back on one phrase that uh, got into our conversation: phantom stock. So, for listeners not familiar with that term, help us understand that. Sure. So we're we're a, a family family owned business. We're a private company. The Yo family owns owns the stock in Day and Zimmerman. 
But one of the things that we did uh, when we bought the company from our father in the late 90s was, again, as I said, we wanted our, our, our executive team to understand how important they were to us. And, um, you know, we're an S corporation and the certain requirements from a tax perspective. And, and there were certain obligations we did not want to put on our managers from the standpoint of having to put up principal and having to pay taxes. But we wanted them to be able to appreciate, to participate in the appreciation of the value of the business and of the balance sheet of the company. So by putting, uh, again, essentially a phantom stock program in place, their financial interests are aligned with the family's financial interests because the more valuable the business becomes, the more valuable this this instrument that they have as, as both a retention tool and a retirement tool. And just becomes. to appreciate how that works, uh, at the end of the day, the phantom stock's price has moved like a public – publicly traded companies, stock has moved, and it's driven by your financials. Right, and, and driven by the valuations yeah. that we do and the, yeah. and the book value and some of the comparables that yeah. we look at, yes. Bill, just to move into a, a final area here, let, let's talk about your own experience in, in leading and governing. You're, you're kind of both ends of that particular relationship. And maybe just to begin on a far more personal note than we've been so far, what's been one of the tougher decisions you've had to face and make either on the board or in your office at uh, Yo Company? Sure. Um, you know, I would say, you know, probably on the latter, um, you know, the the tough decisions are always when you have to part ways with a, with a coworker. Hmm. Um, and, you know, in, in the best of scenarios, uh, you know, everybody comes to the conclusion that it's not a good fit and it's time to move on. Um, but that's not always the case. Uh, the, the first person that I had to lay off in my career had been in the business longer than I'd been alive. And um, and I remember being so incredibly stressed out during this conversation that about three minutes into the conversation, this person had to tell me to relax. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of how that went. You were getting the counseling. Yes, exactly. So that wasn't exactly how I saw that going. But but and then I have had other times where it's hmm. been very difficult to – uh, to have to part ways with people, and, and um, you never have perfect information making those things, and you're yeah. never 100% sure it's the right thing to do, but you're always trying to think about what's best for the business overall. And, and you know, there's a, a Star Trek quote that I like that says, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the needs of the one. Yep. And uh, that, that, to me, uh, you know, has always been kind of a driver for it. But I'd say in terms of a difficulty, that's always the, the, the hardest thing, because you get to know people on a personal level, and you and Everybody has a lot of value to add. It just may not be the right time and the right fit. Yeah, totally. Let me remind listeners again that I'm Mike Yusim. We're all tuned in here to Leadership in Action. And I'm talking with Bill Yo, author of Our Way, The Life Story of Spike Yo, His Father. We're also talking with Bill uh, about his own life and his own leadership and uh, management activities. And Bill, as our time begins to close in near to the end here, I've got a, a couple questions to kind of pull a number of questions here, a number of issues together. In your relationship with your father, who's still alive and very active, and in writing the book about him, the title I just offered up, what are the two or three most important elements that you have acquired from him historically or way back in your youth or maybe in more recent years that today guide your management, your leadership, your governance of the company? Sure. Um, you know, I think... Uh one of the most important ones, and this was maybe as, as of all of his great uh, character and personality strengths, is the importance of connecting with people hmm. and about, uh, you know, allowing people, again, as I said, to sort of bring their whole selves to work and to feel, you know, back in his day, we didn't use term they didn't use terms like employee engagement, discretionary effort and those kind of things. But a lot of the things that he did both innately and, and deliberately uh, really did those things. He got the best out of everybody. And and to a person, the dozens of people I interviewed who worked uh, for and with Spike would say how much he connected with them, how at ease he made them feel, um, you know, how much he cared about their personal lives and their family and their interests and their children, not just about if they're hitting their numbers or not. And, and then from a broader perspective, uh, one of the best quotes I got was from somebody who worked at our company for a long, long time. And he said, when Spike would speak at a function, you felt like he was putting his arms around you. Hmm. And and so I think that ability to be able to connect with people and have your, your colleagues feel valued both individually and as a group was absolutely something that I acquired from him and, and something that I think we take a lot of pride in, particularly 
we are largely a service business, a people business. There's not a there's not a widget that comes out the back end of a factory for the most part in what we do that that you know brings the value to the marketplace. It's our people. You know, it raises such an interesting question. If um, you, as a listener, or me, as a person in discussion with you, appreciates the point, but we're a little bit stuck on how to go from who we are to somebody who is better at engaging. So I would like personally myself to become better at in all the ways you just described your, your father was very good at. So when it comes to a developmental exercise, for those of us who were a little bit challenged, I'll put myself in that category as well, uh, what are some of the things we could do, steps we could take, um, sort of methods to follow to become better at making people feel like we're putting their arms around sure. them? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think because uh, a lot of times when when somebody is not having success, and I certainly have, everybody has success in getting people to engage and feel like they have their arms put around them, um, it's because you have blind spots in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And, and you may think, what are you talking about? I'm asking everybody what they think and how their day and everything else. Um, so there are a lot of, you know, human resources and talent development, best practices, 360-degree reviews, peer feedback, uh, you know, we do different sessions when, when I would move into, you know, maybe running a new project or a new initiative where an HR facilitator would come in and, and we do some things together, then I would leave the room. And then, you know, the team would do some work together and then I'd be able to get feedback in terms of what aspects of my management leadership style were compelling and what weren't. So, you know, I think a lot of those things, uh, you know, it's not, it's not easy enough to sit down with your team and say, tell me what I don't do well. Because your team is recognizing mm-hmm. that you, you know, you do their performance review to a certain extent. So, to to have a really effective talent development program and HR program, I think to to support you as a partner in that, and for people to understand that, um, you know, one of the things I learned back in college, which really had a profound impact on me with group dynamics, was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine at school and and sort of complaining a little bit about. You know, why is it that I feel like I'm the always one who has to make a decision about where we go or what we're doing or something? And the guy kind of put his finger in my chest a little and said, look, don't don't make a big deal out of it. Like you're just playing a role in the group. Hmm. You know, the, a group has to have a leader and you happen to be the one playing that role. Don't think it's any bigger or greater than anybody else's. And that really, you know, hmm. now this this many decades later really has me focused to think that, you know, being a leader isn't all that. It's it's a role that has to be played. And if I happen to be the best one in a certain environment with that skill set to play it, then then that's what it's going to be. Step forward. Exactly. With only a couple of minutes to go for a listener, Bill, that is involved in a family business or in particular thinking now maybe about passing the business on to the next generation. Uh, you've seen both sides of that question. What advice would you have? Sure. Um, you know, I would say two things come very strongly to mind. Number one is don't do it alone. Um, there are significant uh, subject matter expert consultant type resources out there, and there are peer groups and peer networking opportunities. The 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 bonds and the exchange that exist and occur between family business owners is really like nothing I've experienced anywhere else professionally. The 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 candor, the confidence, and confidentiality. So, you know, really to reach out and network for people. And then the second thing I would say, particularly if you're talking about succession and developing a a next generation is particularly if you get into the the cousin area mm-hmm. where people don't necessarily all grow up under the same roof, um, is really how can you spend time together as a family, as an as an intergenerational family, and not time together. I think one of the mistakes we've made is our much of our time together has been very formal around business issues, and really how much can you focus on just spending time together and enjoying each other's company and developing that from as young an age as possible. So. When you get up into the points in your life where you're talking about making more business decisions, you have a lot of runway and familiarity yep. together. Bill, I'm going to close with a very oddball question. Here it is. Do you consider yourself pretty good at forecasting the future? Uh, sometimes, yes, but but not always. So. so here's where I'm going with that. The jacket on your book says the following. Uh, the book, by the way, to repeat the title here is... Our Way, The Life Story of Spikeo, Your Father, you wrote it. And the jacket uh, in its last paragraph describing the author, it says the following. Bill holds a B.A. from Duke, an M.B.A. from our very own school here. He and his family live outside Philadelphia, where he is convinced that the Eagles will one day win a Super Bowl. (laughs) 
Are you convinced? I'm, I'm convinced, yeah. I, I'm getting uh, a lot of credit from my friends and, and colleagues for having written that last summer. So, yeah, that was. they're anxious to see what my next dust jacket will say on it. I want to know what your next forecast is because yeah. yeah. you were uh, right on that one. Uh, all right, so, Bill, with about two minutes uh, yet to go here, just uh, to kind of make this terrain a little bit finally here very personal – as you've looked back on your life and the decisions you made and the leadership you've exercised and the management that you've applied, what is maybe the the one act or the one choice or the one decision that really stands out that you are most proud of? Um, you know, if I look at it from a, a professional perspective, um, you know, I would certainly say it, it's making the decision to be a part of our family business, um, you know, to invest the time with my family, with our with our employees, to know what a special place it is that we have thousands of employees whose livelihood depends on us, um, you know, and, and just to be to be given that opportunity and put in that opportunity and recognize that that doesn't mean that I and we get to take it easy. It doesn't mean that uh, we just get to do the same amount everybody else that it actually it puts more of an onus in my belief on us to do more and and to to work harder and to make sure that we're doing everything we can so that all these other people who are counting on Danzerman either as employees suppliers customers are able to fulfill whatever their dreams are and recognize the best of their relationships uh, whether they be personal or professional so I think that that would be the most important thing for me and maybe one more twist on that looking Back on your choices along the way, is there one decision with the benefit now of long hindsight on many, many decisions that you might have crafted differently with the benefit of the wisdom that you have now? Um, yeah, for sure. You know, I would say uh, in the middle of my career, I was running uh, one of our businesses and, um, you know, I think I was I was probably a little full of myself and, and had not experienced a lot of failure in my life. And I was probably not as open to feedback to, to mm-hmm. people who have walked a few more miles in shoes than I have. And, uh, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, I think if I had done that a little more, you know, everybody would have been a little better off. So, Bill, terrific. Listen, thank you so much for talking with us tonight. Uh, Bill Yo is the author of the book. I've got it in my hands right here, Our Way, The Life Story of Spike Yo. And Bill, listeners who are interested in, in the book or you, how do they find out more about both? Sure. No, thanks, Mike. Um, so the book is available on Amazon. If you search Our Way and Bill Yo, you'll see it there. I also have a website, ourwaybook.com, that talks about the book and, and some things about family business and uh, so I'd love you to check that out. And then if you're on Facebook, you can look up Bill Yo Author and like and follow me there. And, and those are all channels where I keep talking about different things with family business and those sorts of things. And by the way, Bill, last question for you. Do you have another book in you? Uh, I do. I think I have a couple more. So uh, uh, the next one that I'm going to be starting this summer is uh, a, a little bit of a different thing. It's still nonfiction, but uh, talking about a mission trip I did to Nicaragua earlier this year and really mm. talking about some of my observations about uh, third world versus first world, about some of the things about the universality of humanity, uh, some religious and spiritual themes that come along with that. So uh, sort of a Tuesdays with Maury uh, approach. And then uh, I'd love to also continue doing uh, family biographies like the one I did on our family. So Awesome. Bill, thank you so much. Uh, stick around, everybody. We're going to take a very short break. When we come back on the air, we're going to be talking with Mark Nevins, who is the co-author of a great new book called, listen carefully, What Happens Now? Reinvent Yourself as a Leader Before Your Business Outruns You. What got you here basically is not going to get you there. I am Mike Usain. We're listening to Leadership in Action, business radio powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. Stick around. We're going to be right back. Thank you. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 